Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is New Yorked by Rob Hart. A little bit about the author. Rob Hart is the associate publisher at MysteriousPress.com and the class director at Lit Reactor. Previously, he has been a political reporter, uh, the communications director for a politician, and a commissioner for the city of New York. Uh, Rob is the author of The Last Safe Place, a zombie novella, and his short stories have appeared in Shotgun Honey, Crime Factory, Thuglet, Needle, Quick Crimes, it's quick with a K, because that's cool, and Helix Literary Magazine. His debut novel, New Yorked, is out now and being talked about currently on this podcast. Indeed, he's had some pretty serious jobs there. A commissioner? What does that even mean? Like, I think I Commissioner know. Gordon... Yeah, that's that's the first thing I thought, and I'm sure that that's not anything what that's actually like. <laughs> not saying Rob Hart man. couldn't couldn't hang with a masked vigilante superhero. I'm just saying I don't think that that position definitely requires that to happen. Gotcha. It's not okay. So it's like a, it could happen. It could. Could it could also never happen. It could never happen too. All right. <laughs> Can we talk about New York? Let's do that. Let's do exactly that. Ashley McKenna is a blunt instrument. Find someone, scare someone, carry something. Point him at the job, he gets it done. He generally accepts money upon completion, though a bottle of whiskey works too. He's comfortable working on a barter system, which, goddammit, that's like one of my quotes. It's right in the stupid synopsis. It's not the career he dreamed about, archaeologist, but it keeps him comfortable in his ever-changing East Village neighborhood. That's until Chell, the woman he loves, leaves him a voicemail looking for help. A voicemail he gets two hours after her body is found. Ash hunts for her killer with the grace of a wrecking ball, running afoul of a drag queen crime lord and stumbling into a hard-boiled role-playing game that might be connected to a hipster turf war. Along the way, he's forced to face the memories of his tumultuous relationship with Chell, his unresolved anger over her father's death, and the consequences of his own violent tendencies. You notice what's conspicuously missing from the synopsis? The city of New York? <laughs> we had around the same wavelength with that one. Um, <laughs> well, well, it does say East Village Neighborhood. Never mind. So it did make a kind of an appearance in there. A little bit. Yeah. I've been to the East Village. I've never been to New York. Yeah. We could talk about that later on a little bit. but um, Sure. Uh, so, yeah, the synopsis pretty much lays out how this starts is uh, he wakes up crazy drunk or i'm sorry crazy hungover uh in a way where it's like what was the one line at the beginning that was just uh like your soul aches for cat uh uh nicotine nicotine or something am i close yep so it's very my blood weeps for nicotine was the actually i just opened the book and looked at it um so it's a (laughs) it's a it's a pretty intense opening (laughs) as far as like um the the extreme nature of this hangover um and as he stumbles about his day and kind of gets, uh, you know, kind of resurfaces into the normal world, he notices he's got a voicemail, checks it, and finds out, as the synopsis said, that Chell um, was being followed by someone, and she was worried, and she wanted his help, but uh, he was too drunk and blacked out or whatever to have gotten the call when she called. Yeah, and... um I guess we should set it up right at the beginning. Um, his love is unrequited. It's um, he desperately wants to be with Chell. Um, Chell likes him and cares about him, but I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I go back and forth on on her reasons for not being with him through the course of this book. 
But yeah, it does, just seems more like she doesn't think it would work between the two of them. But it doesn't stop Ash from uh, from being head over heels, just absolutely nuts about this chick. And that's the motivation for him to find and hurt the person that killed her. Mark it, first motorcycle of the evening. Yep, got it. 15 minutes from now, you'll hear another one coming by here. <laughs> um, did you get a manic pixie dream girl kind of vibe off of... Uh off of the Chell character when we see her in flashback? Only a little bit. Oh, okay. Only a little bit, because I thought about that, and I kept expecting it to get stronger, and it didn't. Yeah. For me, at least. I mean, it was like, alright, so the character herself, she was a burlesque dancer. Um, she had moved from, like, a small town in the Midwest out to New York, and just was, like, herself, not, not larger than life, but kind of captivating, like, kind of the type of person that would turn heads. Um, that type of thing. So I was kind of getting that kind of feel. Like she did bold things for no other reason than just for the boldness of them. I think. Um, you know, and this is this is a tip to to women because you know I understand um, the female mind like nobody else does. <laughs> Rob makes an interesting point though. If if you want to attract men, manic pixie dream girl is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Just look it up, Urban Dictionary or whatever. <laughs> I don't know then, what Urban Dictionary is going to have oh, to say about see. that. But. I'm going to find out right now because I like how, all right, I, I typed you are and like already it wanted me to go to Urban Dictionary. Yeah, Where else would you go? It starts with a you are. I'm trying to think. Um, like a urologist? Could oh, be. See, I type manic and the first result is manic pixie dream girl. Let's hear what the definition and then is. Manic Let's see if features. this. This this uh, maybe Chell fits this description after all. Let's see what let's see what the foremost internet authority on de- on definition says. All right, this is a definition put in by uh, Marge Gunderson, October nineteenth of two thousand eight. So this is one that's let uh, held the test of time here. Uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl or MPGDG, which no one has ever said, is a term coined by film critic Nathan Rabin after seeing Elizabeth Town. It refers to that bubbly, shallow cinematic creature that exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer-directors to teach brooding, broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. A pretty, outgoing, wacky female romantic lead whose sole purpose is to help broody males, male characters lighten up and enjoy their lives. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little alright. I take it back. She's a manic pixie dream girl. She uh that got three hundred seven thumbs up and thirty nine thumbs down, so <laughs> I think that's pretty solid. Uh yeah. And in that far back, it's it's probably where everybody else got their definition from, if that makes sense. Yep. And then like it just became diluted mm-hmm. or whatever. But anyway. Yeah. Alright. I think Chell's a manic pixie dream girl. Ash. <laughs> Ash reaches out to his friends for help, and these are all people at New Chell. There was a, a pretty solid group of them that uh, that hung around at this one particular bar. So he uh, he shows up there. Of course, everybody is, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, Ash. Oh, God, it's terrible. We're so sorry. And he really isn't in a position to mourn. He just wants to start cracking heads. So he pretty much immediately embarks on a, um, you know, your standard, fairly standard PI-type investigation, I think. Yeah. Uh he has to duck some police officers. They're detectives uh, Medina and Grabowski, who uh, show up at his apartment. He ducks out the 
the you know, fire escape or whatever and, and uh, uh, heads over to, like, he knows what's up because he knows he has to duck these cops because he's, not, you know, probably a likely suspect um, and they're going to slow him down in his investigation. And then he knows they're probably going to have a car parked outside of her place because he's going to go check that out and um, that kind of thing. And he heads over to her place to kind of start his investigation and that gets the ball rolling. Um and then it's, yeah, he's just kind of like a punch factory. He just wants to go around punching the truth out of everything, pretty much. I was thinking about you when I read that. Um, the, uh, several of the scenes in his apartment and, like, the kind of fire, weird fire escape exits and stuff. Um, do you have a fire escape? No. How many exits are there out of your place? <laughs> of my apartment? Yeah. Uh, just the one. But okay, uh, that's what I was thinking. You'd be really screwed. Oh, no, I've already got this figured out because... Uh, <laughs> Um, if I need to leave, I can pop open my, my window because I'm just on like the first-ish kind of floor. Mm-hmm. Um, the the retail space that I live right above is kind of garden style, so it's kind of half above ground. So I would probably be jumping about seven feet to get to the sidewalk, so I could do that. I could just jump out my window. All right. Well, good, because I was a little worried about you when I was reading that, that if you ever had you know cops or someone at your door... Like, yeah. how would you get out? As long as I clear the awning. There's an awning. So as long as I get past that. Because if I, like, jump and I hit that and fall, I might hurt myself. But, okay. yeah. I hope the police aren't listening. <laughs> it's just one guy standing just, outside watching your window. Yeah. Just get a guy on the awning. We're not even going to try and open the door. We're just going to wait for him to jump out the window. <laughs> yep. So we get to meet some of um, some of Ash's friends through the course of, uh, you know, at least early on in his investigation. We meet uh, Lunette. Who is a? She's Russian. Is that something like that? Yeah, Eastern European, Russian, something. Um, chick Bombay, uh, kind of the. I don't know. I, I know that when we talked about her making the notes, we said hacker friend. I don't know if he's just a hacker. It just seems like he might just be better with the internet than Ash is. I don't know if like hackers <laughs> is actual like a moniker. Um, that's not his sole purpose, but that's kind of like his plot function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then we meet, you know, I mean, and then again, through through the course, we, we meet some other really interesting characters. So um, the one that comes up pretty early on is uh, Ginny, Ginny Tonic, who is a, a, a is it just a transvestite. I'm not really sure what the, the right. Uh, I am dying to get into this conversation. You ready for this? Yes. So this is a distinction that um, is actually pretty important. Transvestites are just straight people who like to dress like women um when you're transgender or transsexual that's when you identify as a different gender than you biologically are so transgender yep (laughs) was a transgender um crime boss i guess is probably the best way we can put that the uh the city of new york is kind of divided up into different i guess it was each, each borough had its own yeah, there's some sort of territorial kind of delineation, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, a Ginny, the transsexual, is uh, or transgendered um, woman, is uh, is the one in this particular area. And Ash does work for her from time to time. But at, at a certain point, he reaches out because she also knew and may or may not have been involved in, uh, in Chell's final days. So Ash kind of reaches out to Ginny to try to, to get some more information. One of the more compelling characters, too, I think. Yeah, Ginny was kind of like the 
the source of a lot of like the pushing forward of the plot. You, you know, if it, it, whether it was um, giving information to Ash or um, having Ash do something, which then led to something else. Ginny was one of the more central figures that um, really actually kind of made things happen and kind of put a bigger perspective on who some of the interested parties um like in this synopsis it said that he kind of gets embroiled in a hipster turf war so um jenny sheds light on what that's all about and stuff like that but also like you said just um yeah it's kind of a helping hand well kind of quickly we can run through some of the other characters because this is really a a uh, mystery story i guess i don't know how far we're going to go into plot anyway there are some other points we should touch on but um at one point we're introduced to ash's and Margot, who um, comes to visit from out of town because she's going to be going to school in New York. Um, let's see what else on the Snow White, who is uh, who is a drug dealer. And uh, if you hadn't read this and I said the drug dealer's name was Snow White, what drug do you think Snow White would peddle? I would guess um, my first thought would be cocaine, but then um, the next powdery substance would be maybe like meth or something. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of because heroin's I brown. I thought. Yeah, at least maybe. the heroin that I've done. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna, I, was say, I haven't done heroin. Really sure. So. Um, <laughs> and then there's another um, another crime boss that uh, that that shows up later in the story that that's also pretty interesting. And he's the, the this is his name his name the hipster king. Yeah, and he's uh, the king of the hipsters, which run a different area, a different section of uh, of this criminal enterprise in New York. Yeah, and kind of from the synopsis, uh, it mentions a hard-boiled role-playing game, which it's not a huge big part of the plot, but the Hipster King is kind of involved in that. And um, I won't spoil what the actual meaning behind it is, but uh, basically it's kind of a live-action role-playing situation, a LARP, to use the parlance of our times. And... um, uh, it basically kind of has people going around. It's almost like a like a detective story kind of thing, but run by and in a very hipster kind of fashion. So um, this is something that the hipster king is kind of the driving force behind, and um, he's also <laughs> connected to the actual Chell thing in different ways. So uh, it's almost like uh, the way I see it is Ash kind of in his path to finding the truth got kind of snarled. Like in something like a like a root that was sticking up or something, and that's what the role playing game is. I like the role playing game, and and I'm gonna say this: I, it's not so much as a role playing game as like a like a treasure hunt. Yeah, it's almost like a yeah, like a that's a perfect way to say it. It's like a Trevor treasure hunt, not a Trevor hunt. I don't know what that is at all. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends on what's at the end of that hunt. <laughs> a guy named Trevor, that could be yeah. Um, guy named I, Trevor. I, I liked the uh, the role playing game aspect of it. I thought that was really cool, and, and I think God in the early days of the internet, um, I actually played a, a game online where you know you would get like text messages telling you to go to different websites and like check some stuff out. And I didn't play for very long, but it was kind of neat that you know that playing in the real world kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought this was that was actually a pretty cool. I also liked the. Um, the characters and kind of the division of of crime in New York of these territories was really cool too. And I'm trying, I'm struggling to remember what book we saw this in. It was something really serious, um, similar. Um, was it the Andre Bergen book? 
Oh, with crime territories? Oh, um... In Tobacco Saint Mountain Goat, there were, like, rival police gangs or something like that that would attack each other and stuff. God, I'm trying to think. I know that this this seemed um, and not familiar in a copied way, but but in another way, it was I liked it in something else we reviewed a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It, it reminded me a little bit of like how the TV show Gotham is now, where they're like mob bosses, but they're kind of larger than life, you know, in a personality right. yeah. kind of way. And I like that element um, quite a bit. You know what I thought of actually? Um, this is probably way different than what you were thinking. Was um, what was the name of the book? The Warren Ellis book, Kirk and Little Vane. Wasn't there some element of like him going around? I don't know, not not the the game thing, but like uh, he had to like go to these clubs and get information. And there was like kind of a seedy underbelly thing going on, right? Yeah, that was all crazy sex stuff, though. Right, that's Those what the I... guys who were swelling their ball sacks up with uh, <laughs> saline, with saline solution. Yeah. yeah, but this kind of gave me a similar feel because maybe it's just my <laughs> like you just got saline injected <laughs> your scrotum. <laughs> Like man, this is the strangest thing. But when I'm reading this part of the book, it feels like my balls are just full of saline, <laughs> like like the size of a basketball. Let's not um, start talking about Crooked Little Vein because goddamn it, I love that book. But, It'll be another twenty minute. <laughs> no, but Cycle. all right. So apparently, you didn't get a, like a Crooked Little Vein feeling from this book in general. No, no, nope, nope, did not. <laughs> all right, sorry. Move on. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. Now all I can think about is Warren Ellis has a book coming out in a few months, and God, I hope it's better than Gun Machine. It's called Normal, right? I don't know what the hell it's called. It's called <laughs> I'm normal. so I'm so just hesitant on uh, after that Gun Machine debacle. Any rate, back to this book. Story wise, <laughs> that's probably all we could go into. Ash goes on uh, this investigation to find out who killed Chell. Done. We talked about the game element, I think. We covered that. I think we talked about the kind of the division of, of crime bosses. Um, there's another element in this that, that we haven't mentioned, and I want to talk about it because there are some things that Rob Hart did very, very well in this book. Um, we see Chell and Ash... Saying Ashes is terrible. We see Ash and Chell's um, relationship in a, in, a, in a series of flashbacks pretty evenly paced throughout the book. Um, and as I mentioned before, it was kind of this unrequited love that he had for her, and, and that's that's really how we see it, is through the series of events that took place between them. I liked the relationship that they had from the standpoint of its reality feel. Sure. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was just so well done that he was just nuts about this chick, you know, and would do anything for her, and she kind of she was there for him when she needed him, but she really wanted to be his friend. And, and I think that some of that rang um, very, very true um, in the middle of a book that's a little it's a little nutty with, like, the crime bosses and stuff. Not that I didn't like that, but, I mean, there was just this kind of ring of truth to their relationship that I thought was done very, very well. I will agree with that. I also want to mention, just because we did during the characters... Something else you don't see in books I'm going to give uh, Rob Hart huge props for. He had two characters with the same name. <laughs> so usually, right, because you create this world, so you just don't do that. Right? You just name you name right. one Kelly, and you name the other one Kathy, and it's done, right? <laughs> so he had good Kelly and bad Kelly, which I thought was brilliant, and a very, very small part of the book. But still just, uh, there, there, there was just some some good rings of truth, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. There were some things that felt very 
outside the fictional story and and that was another one of them that really struck me as really well done I think it's a I think it's a phenomenon with the name Kelly because in my life in my past like when I was like a teenager and stuff um, there were multiple Kellys that we hung out with and so we had to give them nicknames um, ours were not as uh, <laughs> simple uh, there was Psycho Kelly <laughs> and um, and and, obvi- and honestly, the weird thing <laughs> and is... And Kelly, who knew where the good weed was. <laughs> no, and this is where the whole naming thing falls apart, because the other one was... The, her nickname was Psycho, too, but because her name was also Kelly, we had to use her last name. <laughs> <laughs> so really, we could have just used... We could have just... The, the psychos could have canceled each other out, and we could have just... <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Psycho Kelly and Psycho Kelly Jones. <laughs> and I, I specifically didn't say the the one's last name because you already know her first name, so that's just not fair. But uh, yeah, so it was like it would be Psycho Kelly and Psycho Jones is what we said. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of. That's... <laughs> I was thinking about that when you're talking about the Kellys, and I was like, I have a Kelly thing, and I was like, wait, that didn't make any sense, and I didn't really think about it until now how it didn't make any sense that they were both psycho nicknamed because that doesn't help anything but no no it doesn't but it 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 does it is like a big warning label uh i mean it worked psycho kelly all right anything else you want to um talk about in this book before we head into quotes yeah um we did miss listing one of the characters that uh, makes a very very big appearance in the book and i think it bears talking about a little bit and it is the city of new york we mentioned it a little bit when i was reading the synopsis um Outside of being the title of the book, and by the way, I just want to say that I really did like the explanation when you get to it in the book of what New York is. I thought that was really good, and I really, really liked it. Um, I agree with you. um, So this isn't one of those stupid book titles that doesn't mean anything. It's tied in, and and it really is kind of analogous for the overall story um, in a way. So... Actually, it's it's dead on for the overall story. It's a great analogy for the overall story. So, excellent, excellent um, title for the book. But um, New York is so prominent in almost every page of this book, which um, in certain books would have been a gigantic turnoff. And at sometimes I was like, okay, this is a little heavy-handed, but um, it just came off as a book that was, you know, um, kind of like a love letter to the city of New York, and. Um, I will say that, and we could probably dig into details a little bit. There were some things I didn't care for and some things I was like, well, of course, but you know, um, New York is a huge part of, uh, Ash's life and, um, everything takes place in New York. And the only thing that I was kind of like, Oh, I didn't know how I felt about it was that nine 11 you know, plays, plays a kind of a part in the story too. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I thought about that because you and I talked a little bit about how prominent New York was while we were both reading the book, and um, I thought about that, and and it reminded me a little bit of of um, of Disintegration by Richard Thomas and how prominent Chicago was in that. Here's my question to you: Was Chicago? Does Chicago and Disintegration come off to somebody from New York like New York does? To us, because we're both from Chicago, so it just felt like huh, really familiar stuff, and it felt a little overwhelming at times in New York because we're we're not familiar with any of it. Um, I think from that standpoint, they're probably similar. Like, 
Um, I only spent a couple days in New York City ever, and so I have a vague, um, like he mentioned, like Washington Square Park and Tompkins Square and like, you know, some of the other stuff in the East Village, and I've been there. So I had a visual for it. Like, I could see that. Um, and, and he used some kind of bigger landmarks, you know. Like, I can imagine, like, I've been to Grand Central Station and, um, you know, things like that. So, like, I don't even know if they use Grand Central, but I think they use kind of the, that area. Um, I've been a little bit around Central Park. So some of those things, if they came up, I had somewhat of a visual reference for. But, like, there was... Um, yeah, there was a lot of it that I just kind of had to, like, use my imagination for because and I think that would have been the same with disintegration. Um, what I think was very different was um, how much, uh, I mean, one of the one of the bigger themes, um, kind of like a like a subplot or a sub story going throughout the book was how people were coming in and ruining what New York traditionally was. And that's definitely not something that we saw in <laughs> Disintegration. So um, that was a big theme was just like, uh, you know, people move from somewhere else and they suddenly they think they're New Yorkers and they think they know what New York is all about. But the people that grew up here kind of have a different perspective. And it felt very like this is my city, not yours. You know, I'm going to assume from um and because Rob Hart lives in New York, and, and I'm going to assume that that all the New York statements were more or less factual, or at least you know strongly held opinions by New Yorkers. Why the fuck would somebody move to New York? It's like three thousand dollars for like a shitty little apartment. Oh, that's completely accurate. It's one of the most expensive places to live in the world, or not in the world in in the United States. Uh, I think it's there, Washington D.C. and San Francisco, and L.A. Obviously are the top four. Um, so all these people moving there, that alone, that alone will, will keep, the reading this book will keep me from ever moving to New York. I mean, any Joe Schmo, like you or I don't have any reason to move to New York, but if you work in the publishing industry or if you work in the theater or if you work in um, fashion, you know, um, even um, uh, like media, you know, those are, that's a huge location for those types of places. And if you want to make it like, you know, in theater, if you want to make it in one of those things, that's, that's just something you do. So, um, I think it's just a function of like, there's always going to be a need to live in New York. So people will charge like fucking outrageous prices to live there. But I would never, I would never, I mean, imagine just being a student and you go and you go to NYU or whatever. Um, like your, your expenses are going to be through the roof. It's insane. Can't imagine oh, it. Can't even imagine splitting a place with somebody that's like three thousand dollars a month, unless it's like a big ass like four or five bedroom house. I was talking to a dude. A, a dude came into my work. Um, I've actually helped this guy on multiple occasions, but he's got a daughter that's going to college in New York, and he actually flew out to New York to like move her in and everything. And um, it was a studio apartment that uh, I think three people were sharing, and um, he's like a carpenter. I don't know. I think it's a motorcycle. Is that my side? Because it's has it been fifteen minutes. <laughs> totally, totally your side. <laughs> um, anyway, the gist is he went and actually built a partition into the studio so that there was like kind of like a bedroom kind of area for one of one of the people and <laughs> for his daughter to, to sleep in with those two other people yeah. she lives with. <laughs> yeah, and then there was like the two other people use the other part. So like, a studio apartment is being lived in by three people. It's just insane. Long story short, no thank you. I'll take Chicago any day. I don't like people enough to do that. 
So, yeah, that's... Uh, you don't that's like people much. enough to visit that place. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it, man. That's it. That's New York in a nutshell. In the shell of a nut. Now, in the shell of a nut. I have quotes. You have quotes? I do. I read the paper, so I have to pull out. I took pictures of the, of the pages. Can I start then? Go for it. All right. Um, it's from very early on in the book. I just and I think I mean this was written first person, so I'm guessing all my quotes or most of them will actually be from Ash and, and probably from in his head. Um, the two of them look at me like I'm calculus. I thought that was just great. <laughs> I remember that one, but um, I, I didn't mark that one. This first quote, I just kind of thought this was a, a cool image, and and it kind of demonstrates the the general mindset of Ash, the protagonist. He's thinking about. Um, Chell, um, and you know what she, what it must have been like when she was you know being attacked or whatever. It hurts so bad to think about, but then I realized that's just the charred skin from where I've wrapped my hand into a bloodless fist around my cigarette. I drop it to the pavement, brush the loose tobacco off my jeans. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mentioned mine. Um, this next one during the synopsis. Actually, I'm going to read a little longer portion. Point me at a job. Find people, find things, transport stuff, look disagreeable. I get it done. And I accept money upon completion. Sometimes I accept alcohol or drugs because I'm comfortable operating on a barter system. I like that a lot. I like that too. Uh, this one's really quick, and I just thought it was a weird... I'd never heard this before, so... Um, Ash is confronting so-and-so about having sex with a same uh, a person of the same sex... Um, and he just says, I didn't realize you were on the muffin squad. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> I think I had that one too. And then for a minute, I was thinking like, man, I could really go for a muffin. I'm like, am I on the muffin squad? He's like, you're totally, on, you're totally on the muffin squad, bro. <laughs> go muffins. I consider pants, but the apartment is too hot for that. I need a downer. A downer wouldn't violate my no drug policy. Prescription pills aren't bad for you. They give them to kids. That was good. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you catch the part where he's talking about how Chell went um, for Halloween dressed as a droog? Do you know what that is? No. Uh, it's from A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. That endeared me a little oh. more to Chell and, and maybe a little <laughs> bit more to Rob Hart. You know, um, I didn't catch the reference to the word droog, but um, I did kind of have a visual image of, because it's kind of an iconic, iconic picture of what the people, it looked like. So, like, there's lots of pictures of that from the movie. Have you seen the movie? No. Oh, my God. Did I ever tell you why I don't have to read uh, the book or see the movie? No. You, you haven't told me why you don't have to. <laughs> Just, I thought free will might cover that, but um, well, I mean, there's a better reason. <laughs> uh, one time I was driving someone somewhere, and they had they found out I hadn't seen the movie or read the book, and they were like, you should see it, and here's why. And they literally told the entire story, and I was like, well, now I just don't want to see it. So that's it. Oh, I hate people that are like that with, with movies. See, most people with books aren't like that. But like people who watch movies and TV shows, they just don't give a shit about telling you everything that goes on. Yeah, assholes. Yeah. Um, I have a quick quote. Yeah, never mind. I, I abandoned that quote. All right. Do you want me to go on with another one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So um, at one point, there there's some DNA found on Shell's body, and, and this is um, Ash kind of reconciling the idea. 
DNA is good and bad. Good because it could point to the guy who did this. Bad because it could point to him before I find him. If the cops find him first, I have to get arrested so that I can go to prison and murder him there. That's plan B, of which I'm not a great fan. Plan B. It's awesome. I have to get arrested so I can go to prison and then kill that guy. <laughs> That's never like, because then you know you have to continue to be in prison. It's not like, oh, you got to kill the guy you wanted to. You're out. See, you're just not as passionate about hate as I am. Because I was like, yeah, I know exactly what he means. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, isn't the victory that he's in jail? <laughs> not if you really want right. to kill somebody. All right. That's true. Then you just pay someone to do it. That's the smart thing to do. I'll buy you a bunch of muffins <laughs> in the commissary, and then you kill that guy. And then do you're in the you, muffin club. <laughs> do you have any more quotes? I do. This is actually kind of a longer one, but um, it, it has to do with Snow White and Ash. It's a conversation they have, but this is one of the parts of the book that um, this happened kind of regularly throughout the book where I was just really impressed when Rob Hart got serious and brought on the feels. And I think this is a good example of that. Um, uh he he tells Snow White that he's kind of off drugs. And she says something about losing her best customer. And he says, come on, I never bought volume. And she says, you're the only person who ever asks about my grandkids. Uh, and then he has this, this kind of uh, reflective moment. For a brief moment, I see her for who she is. An old lady no one would care about if she was wasn't running the drug game on this block. I imagine her apartment is filled with Afghans and cats, an image that stands in stark contrast to the time she had a rival de- dealer tuned up for slinging across the street. Her eyes are racked with what appears to be genuine sadness. I don't know how to feel about that with it coming from my dealer. That was all very good stuff right there. I got more. Yeah. Oh, oh well, let, let me let you get on with it. <laughs> Uh, but that's this is the this is the quote that I originally had. But this that setup was really kind of like you know a nice build to this. Uh, but that's why this place works. We are constantly losing the things that we know in favor of whatever can afford to take our place. I kiss Snow White on her cheek and leave her on the stoop. That was like damn good. Oddly enough, I didn't recognize the setup because I'm looking at just my general notes page where it shows me like four or five highlights at one time, and I actually had that last part also highlight good stuff i mean that had just like some emotional gravity to it that i mean it's not the constant theme throughout the book but it really does kind of um kind of it kind of holds together the 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 story like these parts like this keep everything together there's there's the more punchy fighty outrageous stuff and the goofy stuff but like he does come back to these moments of of like real feeling and emotion and stuff like that and it just kind of all works well together it's not too much there's not too little yeah and then you know me i'm just gonna go with the funny stuff of course you got more yeah i have uh this is uh during an encounter with the hipster king who has a mustache the king brings his hand up to his mustache and twirls it it's a tick he's not doing it on purpose but still, it feels like he's challenging me to keep a straight face. <laughs> That's great stuff right there. <laughs> Here's another one of those um, reflective kind of thoughts. These these little gems. He just drops these gems throughout. And it seems like it's in those moments where, where there's true reflection on what the reality of living in the city is. Um, I don't really have to set this one up. The thing no one seems to get is that just because you love something doesn't mean you can have it back after it's gone. That's probably a good place to to end the quotes, I think. 
Yeah, um, I've got some more, but they're just kind of goofy, and we've already kind of illustrated what uh, the the range of, of what you can expect from this book. So yeah, I think that's a good way to good way to end. Wanna you want to wrap it up? Yep. All right. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't even know what this book was about when we decided to review it, which is not an uncommon occurrence if you're a, a longtime listener. Um, what I got was a, a not just a mystery, but a mystery that takes place. Although it takes place in a very concrete world, as we talked about with landmarks and stuff, it has kind of this surrealistic feel. There's the the whole role playing game. You've got these different, um, you know, area bosses and stuff that are that are a little larger than life. And and I really liked all of that. Um, you know, I, I like um, realistic stuff with just a little twist of of uh, of, of crazy in it, much like uh, like this book delivers. Uh, Rob Hart has really got people like person to person interactions down um i love the relationship between ash and shell it's it's great stuff i i know there's a sequel it's already been announced i'm a little sad because i imagine there will be a lot less shell ash in that as kind of her story is concluded um through the course of this book um the new york stuff was a little heavy for me um and and probably a little to the point of distraction occasionally um but it didn't take away from the bigger story now I do have one one particular issue that I can't because of how spoiler it is I can't talk about. So suffice it to say that I didn't find the ending as satisfying as um, as I wanted to, and and I really can't elaborate any more on that without kind of spoiling any of the story. That being said, I'm looking forward to reading the sequel because I like this um, overall very very much, and I believe the sequel takes place not in New York, so there might be a little less New York. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for the two things um, that uh, that I didn't necessarily care for um, will probably be corrected just by their absence in, in, in the, the next book. So overall, I'm going to give this 4.25 stars. All right. I hadn't read any Rob Hart before, and that's always my like um, there's always that panic moment when you read someone for the first time where you're like, I could just have a bad reaction to the writing style or something like that. So, and it's always just weird when you know the person, right, Livius? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, you can't. This kind of there's a little bit of tension built into it even before you get into the story. And I, I don't think that we're a hundred percent objective, but I think that Livius and I do our best to really rate the story on the story itself. Um, but you know you've got these kind of pressures external pressures sometimes like because rob hart is just an excellent person and i was like man i really hope i like his writing because um i like him as a person so all that aside got into the book and um i read the first half of the book in one sitting and i was um pretty much from the beginning uh sold on it um i didn't think that uh i kind of had the whole oh this is very very new yorky but you know what it's a book that takes place in new york with a guy that loves new york so that's just a that's just bound to happen and even though it was kind of heavy-handed in moments those were rare moments so um i have to give him credit for a book that was so heavily new yorky just not beating you over the head with it um that said the story's good the ash character is a little bit larger than life but only a little bit the um the investigation of the you know the murder of Chell and all the friends that are involved and everything is just a really good story. There are those kind of just a pinch um, outside of the bounds of what would normally happen with like the 
the hipsters versus the transgendered persons crime thing and like it just seems a little bit kind of staged up for a story but not in a way where you're like oh this is bullshit whatever it it works um so i mean any objection that he may have um been facing is just beat down by the fact that it's just well written Melibius is right the character interactions are fantastic um you got those grave moment not grave but um the moments of gravity uh which is way different than a grave moment, like a moment at a grave, which are, I guess, moments of gravity. But anyway, um, <laughs> you have these great moments of gravity where there's great insight, and um, you can tell that there's it's coming from a place of genuine feeling um, that really kind of tie everything together. And overall, good story. I know Livius is... Uh, I know exactly what Livius is, is um, talking about with uh, what he didn't like. And um, I want to refer him back to the fact that one of the things he liked so much is that it was a very real thing. And that's a real, it's a very real situation that could happen. So um, overall, I dug the book a lot. And um, I'm going to go with four and a half stars. I really dug this book a lot. It was very enjoyable. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the sequel, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Yep. So you heard it here, Rob. Uh, once you get those galleys, send them on over. The New York, you know, New York, come on over to us. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Second one's gonna take place in Texas, right? I'm guessing Texas. Yeah. Now, the only concern I have is like, I hope there's just not a lot of the book being like, "Oh man, this New Yorker," like you know that kind of thing. <laughs> like he's so New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there's a character um, that's just really in love with like. Houston or ten, something. Ten gallon hats. <laughs> the fun. Okay, here's a New York thing. There's a very famous street uh, in New York called Houston. It's pronounced Houston, and it's H O U S T O N, which is how you pronounce. This is how you spell Houston in Texas. Oh, New York. They don't know how to pronounce things in New York. Apparently, <laughs> three thousand dollars for an apartment. Yeah. All right. Other than. Even more so than Rob Hart's next book. Do you want to know what I'm, I'm more excited about? Um, is it all the episodes of Hannibal and Penny Dreadful that you've been catching up on? Um, no, 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 that's, no, 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 no. That's, Damn it. that's what I'm. All right, what do you got? What is it? Blood for You, a literary tribute to Gigi Allen. <sighs> yeah. The yep. Kickstarter was successfully funded. Yep. I've been in, I've been in touch with MP Johnson. He's the editor of this tribute, and we can only refer to it as a tribute. For yeah, it's a liter- It's not an anthology. Yeah. It's a literary tribute. It's not an anthology or a collection. It is a literary tribute. Um, yeah, he's gonna send us a digital copy late August, early September, which might be if the timing is right. That could be our return from our lazy summer of podcasting to review <laughs> a book full of short uh, short story tributes. To Gigi Allen, the greatest punk rock star of all time. The 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 lengths to which I indulge you are just like insane. <laughs> it's I was gonna say, you know what I'm excited about? Because if I'm real excited, that means you're just dreading whatever I'm about to say <laughs> next. I also uh, think that we are gonna have a special guest host for, for the episode. for that for that review. Yes. Uh, is it who I think? Is it someone from New Jersey that's not Sean Ferguson? Yes. All right. That is correct. Yes. All right. So, I, we could try to get Merle Allen on. Because that would probably be Frank a get, Edler wouldn't it? In a, in a in a heartbeat, if we can get Gigi Allen's brother on to talk about this. Um, we can try. 
Yeah, I don't know if we want to talk to that guy anyway. He's kind of fucking weird. Maybe he's just completely normal. What if he's got like a uh, posh British accent? I, he doesn't because I've seen. I don't know if I ever told you this. I had Hated, which is the a documentary about Gigi Allen that was made right after his death. And this was a, I mean, an X-rated documentary. Like, <laughs> like there is there's a scene in this. Uh, if if the kids are listening, to, turn turn down your um, your iPod. Um, there's a scene in it where this guy talks about, they're interviewing this guy and he goes, oh, we threw this party for Gigi Allen once, but he said he wasn't going to come to the party unless we found a woman to piss in his mouth. And then they proceed to show the footage Mm. of Gigi Allen laying on the ground, this naked woman squatting over his face, urinating into his mouth. Midstream, he kind of like starts choking, throws up, and then proceeds to continue drinking urine. That's I mean, just one of the scenes in this documentary. I, I mean, what's the appeal? Dude? I have no idea. None whatsoever. I mean, is it like is it like the whole is it just the morbid curiosity? Like like you, you drive past a car accident? Are you talking about having someone pee in your mouth or watching the documentary? No, watching the documentary, man. <laughs> oh, it was so much worse than that, because everybody that would come <laughs> over, I'd be like, You gotta see this. Oh, <laughs> if God. it was appropriate or not. I'm like like putting the videotape in so people can watch this. There, there's another one where he's doing a spoken All right, word that's thing. fine. That's fine. That's good. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, you're excited. That's fine. Okay. Oh, man, I'm going to die. Just, I just can't handle this. It's, you know, but here's what it is. I, it, it occurred to me <laughs> as, I was, as I was thinking about reading this because I've been thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's uh, kind of like... The, the appeal is it's real life bizarro. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So I think Gigi Allen is what all bizarro is based on. He is the father of bizarro. Probably. So any rate, but yeah, so that's that's in the works for um, for late this summer, early this fall. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about that. You know what I'm excited about? No, no, I have no idea. Apple have you, Watch? Have you been on the... Well, there is that. Actually, that's exactly what I'm excited about. Have you been on the Twitters today? I, um, today? Um, no. Yes. No, I was on yesterday. yesterday. Yes, I saw yeah. this. It's unbelievable. All right, so... Because I saw you tweet something that was pretty... I'll let you explain it, because there's probably terminology I don't understand. Um, yeah, so there's, um, there's this thing that I do. I, I'm a big fan of the book, The Raw Shark Texts, and, um... And, there uh, with with Apple devices, um, you can actually name your device. So, like when you know, like if it's shared with another you know computer, you can see what the name of the you know that kind of thing. Um, and I have named all of my devices after characters in the Raw Shark text. So, I've got two computers. One's named the first Eric Sanderson, and the other one's named the second Eric Sanderson. Um, tell me if this gets boring, Livius. Um, this is brilliant. I've heard it before, but I I I think it's just brilliant my router for my wireless network this is my favorite part is Mycroft Ward um, <laughs> my phone is named Scout um, what else do I have uh, oh my uh, keyboard and my trackpad from one of my computers I named after the cats Gavin and Ian which I think is great because they're just you know, little minor characters that's awesome um, my Apple TV is named Mr. Nobody and I just got my Apple Watch yesterday, and you know what I named it? You know what I named it. I do. You, you can tell people, though. I named it Ludovician. And um, 
the the watch and a lot of people don't know about the apple watch too much but um you have circular icons and kind of um they operate in kind of a spherical um disposition as, instead of just like a block of um like sheet after sheet of of apps so you can kind of move them around and, and make it the shapes and stuff like that and so i made my apps into the shape of a shark and um did a screenshot of it hey there's that motorcycle it's finally over i was trying to mute myself before it came over (laughs) finally made it must have stopped for dinner (laughs) must have stopped at denny's or something um so i I, I arranged my apps into the shape of a shark and i tweeted at uh stephen hall that i named my apple watch after the character in raw shark text or the shark in raw shark text and added the picture on it and he retweeted it and he said nice Oh, that is kind of nice. That's very cool. That's dedication, dude. Dude, that first of all, the whole concept, I gotta give you credit. Really, really cool. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, then uh, then getting Stephen Hall to retweet it, even better. Even better. That fucking guy needs to come out with a goddamn book. What's it been, 10 years? Um, It's been, I mean, I could take the book off the shelf and tell you, but you're pretty much, you're going to be exactly right. I think it was um, the early, early thousands. But um, he's still working on the end of endings. Or the end of it's, it's a 27 volume, <laughs> 880 pages per volume. Sounding familiar at all? 2007. No, yeah, 2007. Yeah, right. yeah, so it's been eight years. It's been eight years. I mean, that's long enough to write a book for a lot of people. I would think so. But, Fuck, um, some people can do it in a month. Some people can do it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so that's what I'm excited about. Um, I'm uh. Well, it's just continuing on with the excitement, I guess. So we're doing the lazy summer of podcasting. It's coming. It's going to be like seven or eight weeks that we don't review a book. There will still be episodes and great content for you guys. Uh, there just won't be any book reviews. Now, during the course of that, I expect that I'll keep reading. I'll just read stuff we weren't going to review on the podcast. So yeah. I will try to bring weekly updates of what I'm reading. Can I tell you I've started building the summer reading list? It's like all I hear about. Livius is so excited to stop reading so he can get on Read. with the reading, basically. Yeah, exactly. So I mentioned it a little bit at the tail end of the last episode, but that one ran a little long. Uh, I'm a little hooked on Danielle Page right now. She, um, and I'm not sure what order this really happened in, but she is the author of a young adult series um, called The Other Side of Oz. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's called that. At any rate, it's a continuation of the Wizard of Oz story. From my understanding, a more modern girl is sent to Oz to stop Dorothy which is a pretty cool concept, right? Because Dorothy's the heroine. Of that the sounds Wizard awesome. Books. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first book in that is called Dorothy Must Die. And I'm really excited to read it. There were three prequel novels, novellas that came out, I guess. They're shorter. Um, the first one I know came out before this, but the other ones have come out subsequently. But um, I read the first three, you know, in some of the off time I had between the four books in a row we've reviewed. Um, so I read those and I'm really, really excited to get into this. So I will have an update in the coming weeks on Dorothy Must Die, and if that's something you should be reading. And then um, I looked into a book that was recommended by listener Brad Sanders, who I, I talked to a little bit on Twitter the other day. He is at BSAN3 to 1, the number 3 TO, the number 1. He recommended a vampire book. He had uh, kind of messaged us or did, tweeted at us uh, about a recommendation I've made a couple of times for Jonathan Nassau's The World on Blood. And talking to him a little bit, he recommended something called Enter Night by Michael Rowe, which is actually a cheesy novel. So I, I think that's going to be on my summer reading list, too. 
Rob, what's on your summer reading list? Well, let me look around really quick and see. Um, read that, read that, read that. Um, everything I'm looking forward to is coming out uh, like in the fall. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but the um, Secondhand Souls, the Christopher Moore book, we'll probably read it uh, for the podcast. That's really the one that I'm kind of off the top of my head I can think of that I want to read that I haven't. Um, I'm sure that I'll throw a book or two in while we're while we're on our our hiatus, but um, I don't have a pile amassing the way that you do. Yeah. I'm excited. I don't know if you get that from my excitement and mentioning how excited I am about things. <laughs> I do have like 20 Stephen Graham Jones books, of which I've read probably seven or eight, so I could always go back to the, the Jones well a little bit. Yeah, I was thinking of All the Beautiful Sinners and putting that on my list. Maybe the the newer, more abbreviated version, the, the easy for Livius to understand version that he put out. <laughs> the easy for... <laughs> yeah. There, yeah, there's that. So um, I might do that. Like I know, like some of the, even the newer ones, Flush Boy and Three Miles Past and stuff like that. I could get to. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm really leaning on the word lazy for the <laughs> I'm lazy read a bunch of podcasting. Twitter posts. Well, I'm also here's the thing. Tumblr stuff for work. I'm I'm um working on certifying myself in a in a in an application, and that takes a lot of time and effort. So. I'm probably going to use my off time as actual legit off time, so this will be good good timing for me. Um, and besides, I might just be like my brain might be fried from reading the Fifty Shades of Grey book. Yeah, so we've only got two more before we we take a little break. And um, well, you want to tell the listeners what's up next week? Um, yeah. So the next book we're going to read, the next book we're actually already started reading, but we're going to review for you is Pig Iron by D- David James Keaton. I almost said DJK because that's what I saw on the screen. Um, <laughs> and hang on a second. Did we ever do a synopsis for this? Nope. All right. Here's the synopsis on Amazon's. It's apparently it's not on the book. Good Lord. A risable struggle between love and subversion of the Western genre, Pig Iron takes place in the desert town of Aqua Fria after the wells have run dry, where crazed townsfolk drink whiskey instead of water, priming their bodies as well as their situation for combustion. Myths are exploded. Horses are treated with little respect. Atheist preachers hurl bio quotes without irony, and villains and heroes sweat booze as their time runs out. They have three days before they die of dehydration, only three days to search for elusive treasure, right perceived wrongs, and battle murderous hallucinations. With a glossary of Western terminology, real and imagined, this violent yarn is Deadwood meets a clockwork orange with a shot of rye. Rye being spelled W-R-Y. Yep. Can we talk about something really quick about this? Sure, yeah. I always thought that elusive was E-L-U-S-I-V-E. Have I been spelling that wrong my entire life? Not I-L-L-U-S-I-V-E? I think. Elusive, difficult to find, catch, or achieve is E-L-U-S-I-V-E. Huh. I-L-L-U-S-I-V-E. Deceptive or illusory. Well, there you go. Did he just pull a fast one on us here? Maybe. Elus- like an illusor- illus- like an, an, the treasure is an illu- illusion? Treasure is an illusion? Um... I don't know. I'm pretty far into the book. I probably shouldn't say. All I know is that he's got a glossary in the back of the book where basically he just takes regular words that have normal definitions and redefines them. So that might have something to do with it. 
Yeah, you know how fucking hard that is when you're reading an ebook version? <laughs> uh, you might want to deliver that feedback to uh, one David James Keaton. Here's the thing. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm 38% of the way into this book. And in some ways, it's a lot more serious than other Keaton stuff, which caught me a little off guard. But at the heart, there's still the same crazy shit. So there, there is some a bit of there's a little bit of fuckery going on in this book as far as story. That's all I'm going to say right now. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't cracked it yet, but we were actually way ahead of reading schedule. So mm-hmm. I'm only I'm only on time right now. I'm not late for it, so I feel good about that. Um, and then the last book before the break is going to be Grey by E.L. James, which is the Fifty Shades of Grey book. Um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I missed something. Uh, Keaton, we're trying to get him on for the review of Pig Iron. Um, so hopefully that'll work out, um, but we're going to be recording on Father's Day weekend, so apparently people with fathers actually care about that day, so um, we're not sure about that yet. <laughs> Livius is not resp- responding at all. Um, <laughs> I've got nothing to say to any of that. <laughs> Listen, we always record on holidays. That's People should just accept that. That's true. Um, but yeah, the gray book is coming up after that, which, uh, Brandon Teets has, uh, agreed to join us, um, to do the review of that. And, um, I have decided, uh, that in the fashion of my, um, chapter breakdown of the James Patterson book zoo, which we've gotten lots of, uh, good comments on, I'm going to do my best to do a chapter breakdown of, of this gray book as well. It's almost 600 pages long, so I'm sure I'll have plenty of, um, comments as I go through um, and I'll try and tie that together into a little blog post you can kind of read through bullet points of of the of the book. Yeah, I um, you know, I'm I'm not excited about reading it, but I, I'm excited about reviewing it. <laughs> I think that reading this book is going to be the the my life equivalent of laying on the floor and a naked woman <laughs> <laughs> pissing into my mouth. I am totally going to find that um, that, that, that that VHS tape that I had is, is no longer in existence. Uh, I'm going to gonna find a digital copy of that. I'm excited. I'll just send you a good clip. Like the part where he's doing a spoken word thing at a college. Yeah. And he peels a banana and then tries to shove a peeled banana in his ass. And, you know, that's not the best part. It's watching all the people, like, freak out. Like, it's chaos, like, running from the room. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Oh, Olivia. All right. Uh, we got anything else? Nope. I think that's about it. All right. Well, uh, come back next week for our review of David James Keaton's Pig Iron, hopefully with David James Keaton, um, definitely with the book Pig Iron. And then um, following that will be Gray. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading. <laughs>